right, here we go with Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back, Zen Parenting Radio. We've got a great show for you today. This is what we got. You ready? Actually, I'm not going to tell you what we got. Who, are you asking me if I'm ready? I'm asking you and, and the rest of the ZPR fanatics out there. Ready. Um, what is Zen Parenting Radio? It's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom. That's you. And a logical and practical dad. That's me. We have three daughters, ages 5, 8, and 10. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, a better you. Right? A conscious and self-aware you. That's what I was going to say. So um, <laughs> here's the lineup for today. Disappoint. Oh, we're not talking about that one. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. Teardrops in my guitar. <laughs> mean. We're going to finish up on our series of uh, 11 things that that doctor guy wishes every parent knew. And so we're down to 9, 10, and 11, and you said these are the three best. Three best. And then we're going to talk about Hunger Games. Yeah. And, and how there's a camp. There's a Hunger Games camp. Yikes. That we haven't yet talked about. Yes. We you both, and I. We both read about it. This will be an interesting discussion between you and I. And let me just say before we discuss it that I'm a fan of the Hunger Games books. Yeah, you like PETA. I like PETA. PETA, PETA, Punk Anita, had a wife but couldn't eat a. <laughs> it's not right. It isn't? Um, and so I'm just going to start with that, but I think the camp, whatever. Um, and then with some calls to action and the Tournament of Bad. This is going to be a fun show. Okay, so let's get going. All right. Um, let's start out with uh, Taylor Swift. This weekend in Chicago or I should say last weekend in Chicago, the Red Tour came here, and I brought all three of my children. And your aunt and your sister. And my aunt and, and your, my sister. And your niece. And my niece, and she had a friend who came with her, and we saw the show, and... Um, <laughs> did she sing this song? She didn't. Listen, this is like her country version of this song. She's popped it up. Does her guitar really shed teardrops? No, honey, she's shedding teardrops on her guitar. Oh, gotcha. So that's Taylor. That was kind of her country sound. Like now she's a little more into the Red Tour is a little more of a poppy sound. But what I wanted to talk about was just the fact that my girls have always loved her. And I took her took them to see this show. And they it was funny because the guy who opened up for her while he was doing his What's his set, name? Uh, I say it wrong. It's either Ed Shireen or Ed Sharon. Eddie Sharon. I can't say it right. And I when I say it, in, I've heard some people say it one way and some people say it another way. So I'm just going to say both because right. I don't know. But he he um, he opened up and during his set, our five-year-old Skylar said, is it time to go home yet? <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, because it was only eight and I knew the show went to like 1030. So, um, but anyway, she once Taylor was on, she did great. I don't necessarily want to talk about the show, even though it was an amazing show. I want to talk about the fact that I think Taylor Swift, regardless of if you like her music, because you're not a... She's a polarizing character. She is, like anybody who's super famous, because what do we like to do in, in our Tear society? Apart. Once someone gets way famous, then we say, oh, they're full of themselves, or they're annoying, or they suck, or they're really not that good anyway. That's kind of the way that we do things. Now, some people, like, you don't really like her music, right? I like the song Mean. Right. You, with your words like knives, and you do, 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 Okay, you good, good version. Have knocked me off my feet. Sorry. Okay. So, you know, she, you don't love, though, her genre of music. You don't like it when she does country or pop. You're, that's just not, not what you listen to. She's not my style of music. She's not your style of music. But from a little girl's looking up to somebody, she buries all the other chicks. And that's what I wanted to say is that it was super cool because she, um, you know, she's growing older. And so, yes, her songs are a little older. But her show is so geared toward making 
people understand that they're normal and typical and that the experiences that they have are human experiences. And people will say, well, that's crazy. You know, here she's this famous, you know, pop star. And how is she making you feel normal? But she talks about why she writes the songs she does and how she's had experiences. And she's gotten, she's had negative experiences in a heightened way, meaning people have tried to rip her down because she's this very famous singer. But everyone's had an experience where someone is talking poorly about you or, you know, you liked a boy and they didn't like you back or there were girls who didn't treat you well or you thought your life was going in one direction and it went in another. And she sings about it and gives girls something to hold on to mm-hmm. and understand that they're – validate their experiences. And throughout the show um, – you know, throughout the show, she would kind of talk to them. And, you know, she knows who's in that audience. She knows it's a lot of moms and a lot of, you know, either teenage girls who have kind of grown up with Taylor or kids our age who are just getting to know her music. And um, she does a great job of making everybody feel entertained. It, it was funny. Yesterday we saw a guy who had gone to the Taylor Swift show with his kids. Yeah. And he took a picture of the men's bathroom. Oh, yeah. And there was nobody so in the men's do bathroom. do little boys like Taylor Swift, too? Uh, I think there's some who do, but no, I don't think predominantly so. Predominantly little girls. Yeah. And when I say no, I don't think so. There's nothing wrong with little boys liking Taylor Swift, but the predominant sex at that concert were little girls. So, like, what concert do eight-year-old boys go to these days? Like, honestly, I don't even know. I don't know. Because, like, the boy bands, like, NSYNC, you know, I know I'm dating myself, but uh, Backstreet Boys, those were for girls, too, weren't they? Oh, for sure. I'd say the predominant audience was girls then. So, if you're the parent of an eight-year-old, where do you send your kids when they want to go to a concert? I don't know. Maybe they, I'm sure they have a type of music that they like, and it maybe is very different. Or maybe we're just short-sighted, and actually they do go to Taylor Swift. And they may, I mean, it's not that I didn't see any little boys. Of course, there's going to, you know, 60,000 people. There's probably thousands and thousands of boys, but there's 10 times more girls. Oh, yeah, for sure. So it kind of stinks. Like, what concerts did I go to when I was a little kid? You need to answer these questions. Sean Sean Cassidy. Cassidy. That was my first, my mom took me there. Yikes. You should have a Sean Cassidy song that you can pull up. Yeah. The do run, 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 the do, do run, run. run. Um, and then I started liking Van Halen, but that was in 1984. And, see, and I was nine years old. That's I was the 11. Thing is, that's the other reason I want to talk about Taylor Swift, because for the age she is, she's still doing a appropriate show. I mean, there's a big emotion in it, and she's got some you know costumes on and stuff, but you know, you can't take your son to Eminem, mm-hmm. or you can. Oh, I'm sure that there's millions of little boys that go see Eminem. I know, but the what they're getting exposed to is not necessarily a positive experience. I'm not saying I don't like his music, right, but so, it's pretty So heavy. I guess the question is more, what positive right. place can you send your kids to to go watch live music? That's the thing, because there's probably, um, and not, it's I don't want to generalize and say all little boys like rap artists, but you know, you tend to hear more about, mm-hmm. you know, rap artists. And, and a lot of their shows are very adult. And so, you know, can you take your sons to those things? I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I'm totally at a loss on this one. But I just wanted to make the comment that um, not only was the show, uh, you know, a good thing, but if you've read about Taylor Swift, which all my children have, and we've seen every DVD and we just have an immense amount of information and we watched that 60 Minutes interview with her. 
This is a girl who knew what she wanted really young and who was willing to let go of a record contract so she could do what she wanted to do. And she writes her own music and plays the guitar. And I appreciate her plays talent. plays the piano. Well, yeah, she's not the part. She's not a Nobody, machine. She is not a machine. Where they say, this is the song you're going to sing. This, this is how is you're going to do sing it. it. This is how you're going to dress. Right. Like she, I think, owns everything. She does. It's hers. And, and it's not to say that people aren't helping her, but she is the manager of her own business. And I think that as far as a role model to come out and tell girls, you can be who you want to be and this is who I am. And this is, you know, the whole Lady Gaga thing. I love her too, but she, my girls aren't old enough for that yet. They may like some of her music, but I wouldn't take them to a Lady Gaga show yet. Right. Um, her, she has a little more of a artistic um, theater well, thing. Well, it's going. funny and you say yet because we're going to talk about Hunger Games and we're going to talk about this lady. I forget what her name is, but she wrote this blog about this camp and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but it's all about, of course, Hunger Games is eventually okay, yeah. but at what age? What age is the right is age? Is the right age. So do you want to talk about that now? I don't because we need to talk about our first partner, okay. Helping Hands Maid Services. All what right. do you got about them? HelpingHandsMaidServices.com, 530 530- Excuse me, 630-530-1324, as clean as can be at home and at work. And the good news is they're coming today. Nice. So you have basically just saved yourself three hours of time. Well, exactly, because last night as I was going to bed, I was picking things up, but I was looking, there was there's so much dust on our table that has the frames. I know mm-hmm. you notice. Oh, you I notice can't all. stand all that dust. And I was like, I need to get rid of that. And I was like, you know what? They're coming tomorrow. That's so, right. yes, they do. They save my sanity and my time. So um, to follow with my uh, plan of putting in movie lines in between topics, here we go. Uh-oh. Sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. There's a, there's a few uh, bad words in there that I didn't really realize. I know. So if your kids are listening, sorry. sorry. about that. Oops, I was going to play an Animal House, and there was the S word, so I didn't do the Animal House one. So that's a little bit better. Everybody loves Ferris. Everybody does. Save Ferris. I think there's a band called Save Ferris, isn't there? Is there really? Probably. All right, second uh, topic is let's do these nine things. Okay. Or these three things left. Okay. So uh, for those of you who didn't listen to the last few shows, um, there's this guy. He's a doctor. His name is Stephen Cohen, and he wrote a blog called 11 Things I Wish Every Parent Knew. And we talked about the first... Eight. Eight. So we're talking about nine, ten, and eleven. So number nine is the secret of life is letting go. Number ten is trust yourself. You're the expert on your child. You, you, you're not letting them stay tuned so they can oh. find out well, what I'll they are. I'll tease the last one. But anyways, this guy finished strong. I mean, they're all good. but Right. These last three are cool. Um, the secret of life is letting go. We're doing a presentation this afternoon, and um, I thought of – I put a um, something in the presentation that talked about the parenting spectrum, mm-hmm. how when your baby's born – it is 100% completely dependent upon you. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the last picture of the spectrum is college graduation. Mm-hmm. Not that you're done parenting when your kid graduates no, from college, not. but, you know, you get the point. So I think that has a lot to do with what he's trying to get at here is, at least that's what I thought of when I read it, is um, we forget that our kids are supposed to um, experience things. And it's always, for uh, for me, easier to protect and and make sure that they're not going to get into any trouble or things mm-hmm. like that. And as our daughters get older, five, eight, and ten are their ages, I, we're going to have to create some space and let go, as this guy says, to allow them to make some mistakes. And that is going to be, or already is, a pretty big challenge 
for me and I, I'm guessing for you and probably oh, yeah. most other parents is so do you have any advice on how to allow your kid to make mistakes while at the same time making sure they don't make really, really big mistakes. I know. Well, and there is no perfection. There is only a balance, but kind of on the deeper point to this, the secret of life is letting go. Something that we talk about a lot is the whole concept of detachment from outcome. And even though that can be difficult and we believe that we should control things and control outcomes, the truth is, is that we don't. And that the best we can do is do our best in the moment and allow things to occur. Now, when this comes to our children, of course, we say, well, this is way too important. I have to control this. Um, I have to control what class they're in. I have to control who their friends are. I have to control what they wear. Um, But we're really – we're not – doing them any good because we're not teaching them how to um, make choices in their life on their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your question, it's different at every age because it's child developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. Like when they are three or four, I'm still going to hold their hand when they cross the street. Even if they say, I don't want to hold your hand, you're still going to hold my hand because this is a safety rule. But if they're three and they want to wear the pink shirt, not the red shirt, fine. That's not going to hurt anything. That's, that's, they're trying to assert their independence and at three and at 13 those are probably the biggest times that kids assert their independence Mm -hmm. there's like a separation individuation going on where they they are supposed to and it may happen at 12 or 14 or two or five you know four depending on what it is yeah don't get too absorbed in the actual time because you may say well my kid's two and is already starting that well that's kind of the process don't but this is the average time and So one of the gifts that we can give our kids is in a developmentally appropriate way, allow them to assert themselves, allow them to make choices. Um, And the thing is, is a lot of parents will say, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know how to do that. Tell me. And this goes back to our very beginning of what this show is all about. You got to feel it in your own skin. Mm -hmm. You got to know your kid. You've got to know what they can handle. Like, for example, this this Taylor Swift concert we were just talking about, a lot of people question the fact that I was bringing my five-year-old to this show. Like, that's that age is too young. Well, I... There are some five-year-olds that may not be able to handle it. And there are some things my five-year-old can't handle Mm. that maybe other five-year-olds can. But what I knew for sure is that I had other adults if there was a problem, Mm. A, and B, that this girl loves Taylor Swift. And that this was an opportunity of a lifetime. And so you – and but a lot of parents will say – do you know what I mean? They get too focused on the age versus the personality of the child and versus your the structure you well, have around them. And this goes right into the this guy's next one, which is well, don't uh, go don't go there yet. I know. Man. Well, don't. just hold on. It, okay. It, trust yourself. You're the expert oh, on your child. Sorry. Yes. That is exactly what you're talking yes. about. So you know, even on our show, like we give advice or we give our opinions, but the bottom line is, if you don't buy into it and you're like, no, my son or my daughter can handle that or can't handle that, right. trust your own gut and. That, you know, he talks about in the blog is that's most uh, prevalent when you bring your kid home from the hospital for the first time and you totally have no idea what's going on and you're scared and you just want to make sure that you don't do anything horribly wrong and... Uh, you're asking questions to everybody, including doctors, about your friends, your mother, your neighbors. Yeah, and then it just gets to the point where eventually you just got to trust your gut, right? And that's something that I think is 
kind of the, the, the foundation of this show, which is... It is. It, 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 and you have to... That's why self-awareness and self-care are so important. Because if you are completely full, if you are completely overwhelmed, if you are completely stressed, um, if your life is it's intolerable, it's very hard to trust your gut when it comes to your kids because you've got too many things going on. Right. You're too over-exerted mm-hmm. and you don't have any space to right. feel and listen. You're just flying by the seat of your pants. And so whenever... You know, we give a presentation or on this show, the first whole month that we did the show, which was many years ago, um, all we talked about was self-care. And the only way you're going to be able to practice some of these things is if you understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you say, well, I can't hear it, I can't understand, then this is all about take some time for yourself, take some quiet time. Spend some time doing things you love so you can get back in that place of of being able to feel. And also, you know, instead of going by a story and what other people tell you, um, I just had uh, coffee with a good friend this morning and we were talking about how other people dump their fear on you Mm -hmm. and how people will tell you a story. Like, for example, you know, uh, you know, this friend that I was talking with, she happens to be going through a divorce and how people will say, oh, divorce is the worst. You're going to be poor. You're not going to have any money. You know, life is going to be difficult. You know, you better buck up and get ready. That doesn't help. Right. First of all, that's your experience and you're dumping your fear on somebody. Well, and we've all been in that situation. I feel like putting your hand up to the person who's saying, listen, you're not helping. You're not helping. But there's a social grace or this, yes. there's a social thing where we don't want to hurt that person's feeling, even though they are consciously or unconsciously hurting our own feelings right. or instilling fear upon us. And even though they're trying to express what they believe the truth is, mm-hmm. it's not an over writing truth, it was their experience or the way they perceived it or the way society is telling them per- to perceive it. Because it, the truth is, is, of course, divorce has difficult times. It has difficult moments. It can be challenging. But you can make choices within that to either perceive something differently or do something differently or decide, I'm not going to allow this to be all-encompassing in my life. Well, and the exact same thing happens to me all the time when everybody, and I, I say this story a lot, so bear with me, but whenever they hear that that I have three daughters, they yes. tell me about how it's going to suck when they're in their teenage years and, you know, their bodies change and everything else. And, you know, I, it doesn't even bother me anymore, but it's just so funny how often I hear that. Oh, it's a story. It's a story that they had yep. that, when that, their, to them. that when their daughter was 14, their daughter couldn't stand them or right. they couldn't stand their daughter or whatever. And I'm sure there's going to be moments where that stuff happens in our household, but it doesn't help for you to kind of project your fears upon me. And I've already decided that I'm not going to hate my life when I have three daughters no. between the between the ages of 13 and 18 years right. old. I mean, what a waste. And the fact that these well, other and, dads kind of do that. And how unfair to your girls. Because if you make that decision, it's going to be awful. They're going to be drama queens. It's going to be the worst. You are buying into a story and your girls have to suffer for it. Mm-hmm. They are going to change as all kids do. That's what this is about. Letting go, allowing our kids to change. You have to evolve with them, meaning you have to be it, not you personally, but everybody. We have to understand where they are and then work with them from that point. Instead of saying, oh, you used to go fishing with me all the time. You don't go fishing with me. Therefore, our relationship is broken. They don't want to fish anymore. So what can you do with them? We're meeting them where they are. And we are the adults. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking them to come to us and form a new relationship, we need to evolve and change. We're the parent. Mm -hmm. We need to be that base for them so they know that as they evolve and change, we accept them. Do you want to hear a weird story? Sure. And I don't know if this is true, but I think it is. Um, I heard that when your daughter's 
body starts changing, like something happens where there is a an, an instinctual smell that happens. Like the the girl, let's say she's a thirteen year old girl, she the scent of her dad's skin or the the scent of her dad's body turns her away. Turns her away. Yeah. yeah. And is there a word for that? I don't know the it, word, but I believe that it's yes. about evolutionary. Um, it's el- evolutionary, mm-hmm. so you don't end up having intercourse right. with your own dad. Right. Exactly. And it's just I thought that that was crazy. Right. And, and weird and interesting and natural and, and natural, but ha- but knowing that, you know, when my daughter starts not wanting to be close to me when she's thirteen, if she does, I'll have um, some logic in there to understand why that's happening. Right, it's not such a bad thing. No, it's, well, and that she needs to, you you know, you can look at it from that nature, you know, the sexual nature and the the separating for that reason, you know, because things get a little uncomfortable and she starts to understand things that maybe she didn't understand before. But it's also just forging life on her own and and forming relationships with boys other than her dad Mm -hmm. and having experiences without that, you know, they need to separate from you. That's all I'm saying. And that doesn't mean they separate from you and they get to be disrespectful and they get to slam doors in your face. What I'm saying is it's not going to be like it was before. Right. You have to create Change. something new. Yeah. And that that's okay. And that instead of fighting that, which in which then becomes a form of suffering. Right. You accept that and say, well, I'm going to build a relationship differently this way then, or I'm going to do this, or she does like to do this, so I'm going to take her to a baseball game, or I'm going to take her to, you know, she's been very interested in this concert. So I'm, mm-hmm. it's like, and it's, you know, it's having conversations in a way that they can still hear them rather than making them feel guilty for not being the same as they used to be. Well, and what I think it is, it's just, you know, if you have an understanding that relationships evolve, and that doesn't mean they evolve for the better or the worse, but things they are change. always going to be different. Yep. And the way my relationship relationship with my daughters or with you today is going to be different than the one tomorrow. It could be a little bit more complicated. It could be more simple. It could be deeper. It could be more shallow, whatever it is. And if we can just somehow embrace that change, I think we'll be embrace it and trust it Mm -hmm. and know it's the natural process of life because, and, and when you have emotional experiences, like you grieve a change, like I know a lot of parents have been watching their kids go off to college, Mm -hmm. you know, this summer and what a great, you know, that's a, that's a really hard time and it's hard to let go and grief is normal in no way am i saying oh don't have an emotional experience of course but also accept that grieving is okay as we talked about on last week's show but that it's it's exactly the way it's supposed to be they're it, they are supposed to be going right. and that you have to deal with that loss but in no way should you be holding on tighter or you're not making you know it's well it's, and you say um the emotional experience you can have the emotional experience but i think what i need to keep in mind when this happens to me is not to judge the emotional experience saying yes, i should or I shouldn't, shouldn't be having it right. just allow it saying this sucks i don't want my daughter to go to college i'll miss this time right miss. and so when we say this this gives everyone who has young kids right now like we do an understanding of why this is such an important time mm-hmm. why every moment with your not just this when you have a baby we're always saying well i'll do that tomorrow or i i need to um, you know, do these things, or I don't feel like doing things with my children, or and sometimes it's not so um, negative like that. But or you know, we're on our computer or on our phone all the time, and we're not really present with them. That is when things seem to fly by. Right. Where all of a sudden they're ten, and we realize we haven't really been paying attention. Right. And those are the times that can be really uh, 
a challenging time is when you realize you've kind of missed it. Um, maybe you were there in body, but in spirit and in emotion, you were kind of going through the motions. And for parents right now, new moms um, and dads and new moms and dad or moms and dads who have like little ones, it can be a little bit of a a daze. Right. So don't feel like I'm talking specifically to you because believe me, Todd and I were in a daze at that time too. But as you start to come out of the daze and you know, and they are maybe gone for a little bit and then they come home and they want to talk to you, put your phone down, be there for it, you know, have some, you know, do night times, read them a book, like be present for when they're young, because it does it does cruise it goes um, fast. You just said put your phone down and I accidentally um, ran into this wonderful tool of being more present. Let's hear it. I had a problem with my phone receiving email on my phone, so oh, I yeah. deleted it off. And so for two weeks, I've not been able to retrieve email on my phone. And it's been, my, awesome. my last two weeks have been amazing. <laughs> because like, I, I think it would be more of a struggle if I knew I was going to be away from my laptop for like a 12-hour period. But right. usually the way my job works is I can get to a laptop every few hours or whatever. It is such a sense of release a relief to not be connected to my email. To not be bombarded with people needing you all well, day. And it's, it, it plays right into my addic- addiction to productivity. I am unable, like if I had the email on the phone, I would go, even though I, even if I know it's not my best interest to go to it, the fact that I can't get to it is you. a gift and yeah. it's completely freeing. Yeah. So I challenge our listeners who struggles the way I do about being addicted to your phone, delete your email account just for a day. And see if the world stops spinning. Well, and people right now are going, oh my gosh, I can't do that. But that's the thing. The gift of of being sick or having a crisis in your life mm-hmm. is that that happens where you don't look at your phone and you are, you, you're kind of either, either having to heal yourself or help others heal for whatever reason. And then you get away from it and you realize nothing changed. Right. That, you know, even if little things slip through the cracks, that life remains the same. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes those crises to help us realize that we're creating our own busy lives. Um, one more thing I wanted to talk about this last uh, step. I don't even remember what it was called. What was it called? Trust yourself. You're the expert on your child. Uh, he talks about um, have a beginner's mind. I think that's like a Buddhist mm, term, yeah. uh, which basically means look at the world through the ch- through your children's eyes, like a little two-year-old baby, and they don't have words for anything. They mm-hmm. don't have labels for anything. They don't have a story. They don't have a story, and everything is brand new. And you know, we always talk about how we can learn from being a parent. That is how we do it. Think of a world where you walk past a tree, because right now we walk past trees all the time, mm-hmm. and we don't appreciate the beauty that a tree really is. Or how amazing, I mean, that it does that. Right. It's a seed. And, you know, we're just so in a rush to get to the next point. Just, I, I love that term, beginner's mind, mm-hmm. and um, I, it's just a reminder that I'd, I'd like to kind of share. Well, and to go with the beginner's mind, another uh, term that's very similar is an empty cup. Um, it gives you a good visual. A lot of people approach life as a full cup where they feel like they know everything already. They feel like they've tried everything. The What I like to call it are the yeah, but people. Mm. Every time you try and tell them something, yeah, but I tried that. Yeah, but that won't work. Yeah, but I've the seen yeah, that. The yeah, buts. Um, and an empty cup means you approach life not all the way full to the top, but with some space. Maybe you're halfway full because you've had a lot of experiences you want to maintain and hold Mm -hmm. on to and learn from. But you have enough space where when people tell you something or when you're listening or watching, you can hear it and you can recognize. Well, and that's why I don't have uh, political debates with most people because most people, and sometimes including me, 
have They're already decided mm-hmm. what is right and mm-hmm. what is wrong. So I really enjoy debating about politics or you know the third rail religion or whatever, mm-hmm. as long as both people come with a half empty cup. And when you, I always know that I'm talking with someone that I can really get deep down with when they say things like, "Oh, I hear that. I've never thought of that," or "Oh, that makes sense," mm-hmm. or so they're not. They're not caving in and saying, okay, you're right on everything. They're understanding why I feel a certain way rather than trying to convince me I'm wrong. That's how I like to converse with people too is I may not agree with what you're saying, but I understand how you've gotten to this perspective. And you're not at fault or wrong or there's no absolutes. It's just I can have a conversation with you and not judge you on it. Okay. Last one. Uh, Take the long view because it's easy to get caught in the immediacy of a problem, especially at 2 a.m. I didn't really have many thoughts about this one other than the fact that we sometimes um, get lost and think that the crisis that you're in right now is a much bigger deal than it actually is. Or that it'll never be done. It'll never be done. You'll never resolve it. Yeah. Almost everything is small stuff. Right. I mean, unless it's some weird medical, you know, disease thing. Right, that's chronic. That's mm-hmm. chronic. Like, But most of the stuff that we worry about as parents that I worry about is it's it's not important at all, and, and especially that's, money. That's the key is when you have a child, you know, when you are a new parent and you're dealing with a baby and they get their first fever or whatever, it does feel like a crisis because you're on the bottom, you're on the first level of learning. Mm. But as you go through, you can start to relate back to your experiences. Like, for example, a while ago, I did a presentation for moms and they were worried about their their daughters being bullied and such. And some of the mothers were very, um, you know, triggered by it and it upset them very much and it seemed to give them a lot of stress. And the those were the kind of conversations we had. It's not that we can't deal with this in the moment and take it as something serious and and help our daughters, but when it becomes this worry that it's going to turn into something bigger, that what do I do to solve it, or this is never going to get better. Remember when your child was getting up in the middle of the night and you thought that was the biggest deal, or your child, you know, they were getting teeth and you thought they're never going to get through teething, and everything passes. Everything goes through phases. You will get through this, and so try and get through it with your feet on the ground, trusting that it's going to be okay. It doesn't feel great right now, and you got a little work to do, but you're going to be okay. That's one of my favorite um, lines from anybody or anything I like to say is no matter what you're going through, you will be okay because that's your choice mm-hmm. if you're going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, but I'm not going to be because this could happen. But you get to decide how you perceive that. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. I mean, you will be okay. But knowing that allows you to to dig in in the present and do what needs to be done without the extreme worry that you know, you're going to fall off a cliff. Right. Like you can dig in and do the work without that heavy burden of what if. Right. I hear you. Um, all right. So I think we're done with uh, our last three. So thank you, Dr. Cohen. That was a really cool um, thing that you found. Yeah. And um, let's, you post, post it on the notes again. Yes. It's, uh, I think this is episode number 135. Awesome. So uh, check that out. So now talk about our second partner of three partners. And then I'm going to cue my movie line to oh. be all. More Ready. movie lines. So Tree of Life Chiropractic, Dr. Kelly, um, you can find her at chirotree.com, 630-941-8733. And Dr. Kelly likes to do a lot of 
of um, she's she's very about uh, whole body wellness and whole self wellness. Not just about adjusting your not back. Not just about adjusting your back. She tries to connect to a lot of people in the community and offer things to people. And on August 22nd, Thursday, August 22nd, she's doing a moms to be. So this is pregnant moms or moms who or women who are going in that direction. Moms to be night out um, where she's going to have a lot of speakers come in and talk about things that new moms would want to know. You know, things like about how to wear a sling. I'm actually going to be there and I'm going to talk about um, self-awareness. And there's obviously going to be, you know, chiropractic. There's going to be massage. There's going to be maybe even oils. I can't remember. All, the list is lengthy. There's So if you're a mom to be, um, this, and you live in the Chicago you live in the Chicago land area. This is a cool night. When is it? Uh, Thursday, August 22nd. It's at Tree of Life Chiropractic at 6.30 p.m. All right. And then uh, here we go with my uh, transitionary movie line. I'm I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. And um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you. Daddy, and guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> What's your take on that film? That's Elf. It is Elf. And I love that movie. I know. And we watch it at Christmas. I know. Um, and I just think that it's one of the funniest things. Okay. Last but not least, there is a camp called uh, Hunger Games Camp. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. So I found this blog. And it's in Florida, right? It's in Florida. And this woman wrote this blog about the Hunger Games camp. And she had some pretty, I don't know, she was actually pretty balanced in her take. I thought so, too. Were there comments underneath it? Because I didn't see comments. I didn't look at the comments. Okay, because I'm curious what people, what the big picture take on it was. So, you know, there's some, um, you know, how, you know, the whole idea of Hunger Games is... Children killing each children other. killing each other, mm-hmm. and she kind of took exception to that. Like, what's going on with this world? Why is this okay? And but like I said, the um, blog itself, she's like, you know, we used to play cops and robbers and war games and all these things, which yeah. kind of had a tone of negativity, but it wasn't strictly based on the um, idea of children killing one yeah, another. Hunger Games is very literal. And I think it's a metaphor for a lot of things, and I think it's obviously a comment on our society as a whole and how we've gotten so involved in reality TV, we forget that these are human beings. We think of it as being a scripted show, and you know, in a lot of cases, reality shows do right. have a script. But but the truth is, is that these are real people. And so I think that that's what Hunger Games did well for pe- for adults and for teenagers who, you know, who are ready for this book, is it really is a strong commentary on how kind of sick we've gotten mm-hmm. as far as what we like to see and how like the worse the person dies the more viewers and right. you know that kind of thing but i think what's scary about it is that when it's taken so literal that we believe that we need to bring it into reality that we need to allow our children to have this as a real experience and not it, we're looking at it from a hey it's popular let's market it let's make it into a game because kids will dig it instead of looking at the big picture and what we're teaching well and these are some quotes from the blog and this is one camper says I don't want to kill you and the other replies I will probably kill you first I might stab you yes kids oh. at the age of 12 were joking about offing their friends during camp and if you think 12 is too young the youngest camper in attendance was 10 they get points for they used to call it killing but now they call it collecting lives that makes it so much better um <laughs> but to the defense of this camp there's no real violence no weapons and no deaths the idea of the kids that 
young, engaging, and hunger games, fantasy, blah, blah, blah. So I actually uh, have a real quick clip from the uh, day camp, you know, or counselor or the person okay. who did it. So a real, and this is more in defense of the camp. So. Okay. To eliminate the violence and the themes of death that are very prominent in the book and movie. So we decided to make it an emphasis on gaining points and gaining lives rather than getting out in the game and losing. So we are very excited and as always. All right, so she's just basically okay. saying that there's a that they're not focusing on the death part of it. There because I went through it. There's like obstacle courses and there's uh, in you know there's an intellectual station. There are like four different stations and one is like problem solving and one is uh, an obstacle course. Okay, I'm confused already because I thought you just said she just said it's about gaining lives, and you just read that it was about collecting lives. Well, gaining, collecting. What's the difference? It's a word. Well, so if you so if you're winning, you are taking some. I guess I don't understand the gist of it. Collecting lives, I thought was just another word for killing, killing. somebody. It is, and th- so they're trying to massage the language a little yeah. bit so people don't get. But my point is, I looked at this video, and it is. It is not all about that. Oh, it is okay. about problem solving. Like they'll have a station where they will give you a problem to solve. Okay. And it is about an obstacle course where how dexterous are you at getting through this obstacle course. Okay. So my point is it's easy for us to hear, oh, Hunger Games camp, this is awful, awful, awful. Got if it. you look at the actuality of this camp, it's not. All they did was they tried to take this phenomenon and profit off of it right. and gain attention to yeah. it. But it's really um, – I, I can I can walk both sides of this line. Um, you know, no, I don't want to send my kid to a camp where even a component of it is where You're is based on a everybody. book of children killing other well, children. And let's get down to something that you and I talk about on this show all the time is is again, as you're saying, there's a lot of uh, obviously brain building and body building and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but it's all about competition and being the winner and being the last one. Right. And even though that's a reality in life, and you know, people are like that's really what life's all about. I don't agree. Um, but there's you know. That whole concept of there's got to be one Hunger Games winner or mm-hmm. there's a person that rives, rises above everybody else. I kind of think of a camp situation as being a little more about let's notice each other's skills, let's notice each other's talents. And maybe that's incorporated into this camp. Mm-hmm. I want to stand back enough to not criticize it. It's just it's just creating our conversation here. Well, and I don't know. I just feel like even if it is all about c- competition, as long as you know what you're signing up for, that this is a camp that you're competing against one another, I don't really have a problem with it. And I feel like you're saying the opposite, which is can't we just be more inclusive where there's well, no winners and losers? what I'm saying is, like you said, if they know ahead of time what they're getting, it's not about not – this is so hard because there's so many areas here. When I'm sending my kid to camp, my hope is that it's starting to focus on the internals of my child, getting along with others, socialization, understanding your own skill set, building up your um, own understanding of who you are, who other people are, compassion, empathy, um, teamwork. That's what I view camp as. That's my story about mm-hmm. camp because my children already have to deal with competition in the school. They have to deal with competition in their sports. They have, mm-hmm. They're already dealing with that. Right. And I can't take that out of their lives, nor would I, because that's part of life. So when I'm giving them something extracurricular like a camp, I'm hoping I'm developing something else. And this camp sounds like it's just the same kind of competition situation. Uh, yeah, and um, I think this is the difference between you and I because um, I think this is a male-female thing. Not to say that all men are competitive and all women are non-competitive, right. but um, I, 
that's more fun to me. I would rather have a winner and a loser mm. in a in a competitive environment because that's what pushes you. When I play basketball on Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, th- there's winners and losers. And I know that you're saying that there's a place for that, but I I just think it's more fun when there is a winner and a loser mm. and you are more like Cameron, which is I don't want anybody to lose anything. Well, and, and the, the reality is not anything. What I'm trying to say is there's a balance in life. In certain situations, it is created for competition, Mm. and you have to learn how to deal with that and work within that system. But if I'm going to choose something outside of the already innate competitive system, I would like my children to have an understanding of how to get along in a team, how to um, have some confidence in themselves, how how to have empathy for others. So I guess I... Kids need balance. That's all I'm saying is that if I'm going to, and maybe it's because I'm raising girls. Right. I don't, I don't know why my story is this. Happy maybe Hunger Games. <laughs> and may the odds be ever in your favor. Hold on, I got um, one more. Effie. Who's Effie? Embrace the probability of your imminent death. <laughs> and know in your heart that there's nothing I can do to save you. Lovely. I love Woody. Uh, what's his name in that movie? Haim? Woody. Well, we'll just call him Woody for yeah. now, um, or in that book. But it, it's you know that's it. Just I don't know. It's I know negative. You, you, you like you're like Cameron, and I, I'm like JC. My my. This is the way I explain my two daughters. I know Skylar's coming up the rear. I haven't figured out who she's going to be yet. But JC wants to win everything, and Cameron doesn't want anybody to lose anything. That's the difference. <laughs> and. Both of them have other parts that may not be as loud, meaning I think that every child would love to win. So I don't think that have a winning experience, meaning, you know, have an experience. I don't know, man. I don't think Cameron wants to win. Well, but I, I, I think, of course, it's human. Every human being would like to have something that they excel in. Not, and, in, the, not in the form of some type of competition. I'll well, tell you and that. I will say that JC doesn't win everything and she's a good team player. Yeah. I think that she may want to, mm-hmm. that she's pushed like you are, but I've never seen her be negative or super egocentric about not getting everything she wants. No, so, no, I agree with that. So my point is, is it's all about balance and there is no right and wrong. And if you have a child who it has no competition in their life and they're in a situation where competition is not a big deal, maybe the hunger games camp is for you. And, you know, who are we to say to not go? But personally, it's not my cup of tea. Check. Um, will you talk about our last uh, partner? Avid? Yeah. Oh, okay. no, I will. Yeah, 630-956-1800. They do painting and remodeling all over the Chicagoland area. Please give them a call and tell them Zen Parenting sent you and Zen Parenting. Loves you. Um, so my last movie line, or maybe I'll do another one. I just like, I just like... I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized <laughs> cart. Uh, I think they're making a new Dumb and Dumber. Uh, they are. And can I say a story about Dumb and Dumber? In my mid-20s, I was going through a lot of things, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was just lost, as many 20-somethings are. And I was um i spent it, it was before we had cable and all that kind of thing and all i had in my room was a tv and a vcr is that what it's called yeah vcr, VCR. and the i only had two movies and one of them was dumb and dumber and i was so stressed what was the out. other one i can't remember um but it was something serious yeah and my life felt so serious that every night for months todd 
I would watch Dumb and Dumber. It's because so it's a great film. It would just release that anxiety that How I How that felt. movie didn't win Best Picture, I'll have no idea. <laughs> well, in the first time I saw Dumb and Dumber, I thought it was dumb, thus the title. I thought it was ridiculous. But the more you watch it, like any good movie, like any good cult movie, it has some of the best lines ever. Like this so one. where are you headed? Aspen. Mmm, California. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Hold on, one more. Why are you going to the airport? Flying somewhere? <laughs> How'd you guess? Uh, I saw your luggage. And when I noticed the airline ticket, I put two and two together. <laughs> Lloyd. Sweetie, do you have I Got Worms? I don't. I don't. Oh, um, I Got so Worms. Turn them in a bad time. Okay. Um, this is going to be a weird one. Oh. Underneath the Oven. Have we talked about this? Oh, I know what you're talking about, though. The broiler. Right. When I was a little kid, me and my brother and sister used to make grilled cheese sandwiches. And what I mean by that is we take a piece of bread and put a piece of cheese on right. it. And we put it underneath the oven, the I think in the broiler. Mm-hmm. And we used to heat it up and we'd watch it like kind of bubble it would, like, up and get brown. almost catch on fire, yeah. right? But now it's all about where you, that's a storage compartment for pots and pans. Where I grew up, in the kitchen I had growing up, we had an electric stove and not a gas stove. So ours was a drawer where right. we kept pots and pans. Now here's the weird thing. Now you and I in this house have a gas stove, but we still have the pot and pan thing. So I don't know if a broiler is like something that you is a choice now. Somebody help me out. What happened to when I used to make grilled cheese? And how come I can't do that anymore? I know. In my uh, first apartment in Chicago, I had a broiler, and I would do garlic bread in there. And it would, like, cook like that. Right. It was awesome. And it was a poor man's grilled cheese, but it was good. It was good stuff. Um, So that's my tournament of bad. Call to action. Um, We... our, my fa- our Facebook page, in my opinion, has been a little stagnant. You lately. know, you were saying that, but it, it there's like two people who join every day. We were at fifteen fifty five. Listen to my statement. Listening. We were at fifteen fifty five like a couple weeks ago, and now we're at fifteen seventy three. Like obviously, people are. We're at like fifteen sixty two. No, we're not. Look yeah. at it right now. I I'm telling you because you said nobody's liking our Facebook page, so I've been kind of watching. Right. I don't know who's joining or why, but it's maybe been going up. The why is maybe because we're awesome. Well. Maybe. And and who, I don't know, 1582. Hey, that's even bigger than I just said. So it's gone up since Saturday because I haven't looked at or at least looked at our page. Not enough. I'm never oh, happy. Oh, jeez. Will so, we ever be happy? Yes, I'm happy being unhappy. <laughs> are you Are Facebook. you happy in this present moment? Oh, yeah. So everybody, just in this moment while you're listening to this, can you feel your joy? Even if you're struggling with something, do you have an appreciation for the joy of this moment? That's my question. Um. Sort of. <laughs> when will them be now? Soon. Soon. So just help us out, and and I w- and plus we want to get it to 100 reviews on iTunes. And we where are we? We're at 96. Well, that's two more than before. We're stuck on 96. We're not stuck. We're there. Remember the letting go, the detaching from outcome, just allowing it. When was that covered? We talked about detaching. It was, from to my outcome. understanding, there would be no math. <laughs> um, all right, and then do we want to talk about Ed Bacon? Do you have that date? Uh, October 3rd. October 3rd, Ed Bacon, who's an author, um, a priest. He is the host of um, Oprah's Soul Series on XM Radio. He's also been on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and he has um, 
he is, as Todd said, he is a the rector of All Saints Church in Pasadena, California. He's an activist. Mm-hmm. He his, his mentor, or not mentor, his role model is Thomas Merton, mm-hmm. for those of you who have a, an understanding of who Thomas Merton is. And he's just this fantastic man who preaches interreligion, um, even though he is a priest. Right. Um, he believes that we're all going for the same thing, right. and we all have to have an understanding. So of when he, can we see him? He's coming to Dominican University, where I teach. You and I invited him to come mm-hmm. um, on October 3rd, Thursday, October 3rd. He's speaking at the university. I Actually, it's at uh, Martin something hall. We'll I give remember. you the details, but we'll the bottom the line details. is put that on your calendar. Thursday, October 3rd. And the other thing is I want to do a shameless plug for my men's group. Let's hear it. Which is um, something I'm formalizing. I've been doing it for a few years, but now I'm kind of formalizing it a little bit more with my um, co-founder, for lack of a better term, Frank, Frank Nago. So we came up with a vision statement or a mission statement. You want to hear what it is? Yes, please. To create a challenging and support and supportive environment for men to awaken their authentic selves and redefine the current concept of masculinity. Love it. So every month we come together and we talk about things us other than girls, booze, fantasy football, and sports. We talk about real stuff. So if anybody's listening in Chicago and they're interested, shoot us an email at comments at sendparentingradio.com, and we're going to do a retreat next spring or winter. Awesome. And you and I are going to do a couple's retreat. We are. Todd and I have so many things going through our heads that we're going to offer, and there's just a lot coming up. So keep listening. Keep listening to that. So I'm going to play our our outro music, it's called. Where is it? You you let everybody know what you're doing when you're doing it. Is that good? Well, I think you're learning the board. I am learning the board. I'm still figuring it out. And he's, you know... Learning the board. What are you doing now? I'm changing things. <laughs> See, it's soft now. Louder. Okay. Soft. Okay. Louder. Okay, so um, that's it. Say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good week. Adios. <laughs>